So I want to talk about patents and trademarks. Patents and trademarks are used in business to protect the intellectual property of inventors. So for example, if someone creates or designs a new product, the inventor will pay for a patent. There's a utility patent and a design patent. And that's to protect your design. You're the owner of the design, you've created the design, and this patent is filed with the US Patent and Trademark Office. When you have a trademark, it's similar, but it's a word or it's a couple words. For example, like Nike or Adidas, or I'm just trying to think of some other examples, Hermes or Balenciaga. Those are all trademarks. They're also brands. And so companies do that. They register their trademark. They register their patents to protect their name, to protect their brand. So I have an item that I own the patent and the trademark on. I've owned this for since 2013. And it's interesting because I will get people that will argue with me when they're the ones that have stolen my intellectual property. And I'm the owner. You know, I own the patent, I own the trademark on this one particular product. And I will have Chinese companies arguing with me when they stole my design. And very recently, it was over the weekend, I sent a message to an Instagram influencer. I was very polite, I was very nice, I was very professional, and I was just like, hey, I just wanted to give you a heads up. You know, I like your post, it's very cute, but the product that you're featuring is a knockoff. It's an it's a copy of my design. I'm the owner of the patent and the trademark of the item that you're promoting. I'm just giving you a heads up. And I said to her, I will ship you a free product if you do a video of mine. You don't have to. I'm just recommending it because I don't want your video to go to waste. And I would I'm kindly asking you to take down your video because you're promoting counter a counterfeit product and I'm being polite about it I'm kindly asking her please take this down because you're promoting a, a product from a company that stole my intellectual property And what's interesting is she kind of flipped it around saying, well, she's going to talk to her lawyer. (laughs) Well, (laughs) okay, Um, you can do that. But I mean, if you have a good lawyer, your lawyer is going to tell you to take it down because you are an influencer 
and you are getting paid by the company that stole my intellectual property. This is a felony. This is a crime. This is illegal activity. You can't just steal. And I understand she didn't know, you know, when she made this video. I, I get it. I understand that she was not aware that the item that she was promoting was a counterfeit item. I get that. And that's why I was politely kind of introducing to her the idea that this is a copy But instead, she got defensive and said she was going to immediately talk to her lawyer. Okay, you, do, you go and do that. Because if you have a good lawyer, your lawyer is going to tell you exactly what I told you. And that's to remove the video. Because you are promoting a counterfeit product and you are getting paid royalties or affiliate fees by a company that stole my design. And if you're smart about it, you will immediately take this video down. Because I made a copy of your video and I sent it to my lawyer. So... I now have proof that you are promoting a counterfeit product. Not only that, but you're getting paid to do it. You're making money off of a counterfeit item that is a felony. So you, honey, are complicit. So... I don't know what you're going to do when you contact your lawyer. Unless you have some crooked lawyer that's kind of a shady shyster. But if you are doing business and you're doing the right thing, you don't sell illegal products. You don't sell and promote stolen goods. Unless you want to end up in jail. And this is what, you know... Influ this is something I think we should talk about. This is a good example that influencers will promote product, but they don't really know. They need to do their homework to make sure that what they're promoting is a legitimate product and that the company that they're representing isn't a shady business. And I, I hope to God that for this person, it's a lesson for her. Because what she should do is try to connect with me and I'd be more than happy to set her up with affiliate links. And I'd be more than happy to help her make money off of my item because mine's the original. And trust me when I say I'm going to try to take down these knockoffs. I'm working on that. That takes months, if not years, to do that. That's not an easy task. And it's not going to happen overnight. But there's something about just the attitude and the ego in her. Well, I'm going to talk to my lawyer about this. As if I'm in the wrong. As if 
she, what she's doing is okay and she's going to talk to her lawyer and she's going to come back and tell me to, to shut my mouth. Well, listen, that's not the way it works. That's not the way business works at all. And it'll be interesting to see if I hear back from her again. You know, I. it'll be interesting to see if she responds back telling me what her lawyer said. She probably won't. I don't know. Um, but if she's smart, she will remove and take down the video because she's putting herself at a legal risk by promoting that video. Any influencer that promotes a counterfeit knockoff is putting themselves at legal risk. Granted, I understand that we don't always realize or recognize that, oh, this this company that I partnered with, <clears throat> this product is a copy. I get that. But, you know, after I told her that, and I'd be more than happy to send her my patent through the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office so she can see the proof that I'm the owner. Because if she continues to sell this product that's a knockoff, she will be part of a lawsuit. I will promise her that. And she's not going to like it. If you continue to have an attitude that, well, you know, her lawyer says it's okay, she needs to get a better lawyer. Because it's not okay. It's not okay, one, to steal another person's design. Two, it's not okay to make money off of another person's design. Three, it's not okay to have influencers make money off of the counterfeit design. So this is layers and layers and layers of fraud. That's what it is. It's fraud. And it's a felony. A felony is you could go to jail. A misdemeanor is like a parking ticket. No, this is a felony. So it's going to be interesting interesting to see what happens. I think that during COVID, this is just my personal opinion. During COVID, people were at home. They were doing what they needed to do to, to, to survive and to make money. That's fine. But now people are coming out of their shell. They're coming out of their cocoon. And they're now getting back into the swing of normal business. And they're now getting back into the swing of things. And <clears throat> I'm finding a lot of companies that have knocked me off. I It didn't even cross my mind to look for influencers that wasn't even on my radar. But I think I had been following this person because she had posted a video of my product in the past. I think that's how I was connected to her. And so when the video came up 
Recently, I honestly thought that it was mine. And when I looked closer, I was like, that's not mine. She's promoting a counterfeit item. Which initially was infuriating. You know, you think of like a, you know, a fashion company making a shoe or a handbag and there's another company that knocks you off and they're making all the money. That's what these Chinese companies do. They knock you off and they steal your revenue by doing that, which is really unfair. It's, it's just, it's fraud and it's stealing. I mean, I paid for the patent. I came up with the design. I, I drew the design. I manufactured the item. I designed the packaging. And then just to have someone come in and just steal my product, to steal my design right out from underneath me and sell it behind my back and then to work with influencers to promote it, that's not cool. That's not cool. It, it, and what it feels like for me is when you own your own business, you don't get a paycheck. You know, you work hard and then when you sell product, then you make your money based on what you sell. But think about it this way. I've worked and I put in all this time in designing the product. I put in all this time and effort and, and working on the, getting the patent and getting the trademark. I've put in all this time in manufacturing the product. I put in all this time, sweat equity, in selling the product into certain stores. I wasn't getting paid. I wasn't collecting a paycheck. And so the payoff is when you start getting orders from stores. And then you have companies that's, that just come in. They're Chinese companies too. They swoop in and they steal. They steal it from underneath you. Imagine it this way. Imagine if you're working at a full-time job and you put in three months worth of work or six months worth of work. And then all of a sudden you go to your boss or the head of the company. And you're like, I haven't gotten paid yet. And the head of the company is like, oh yeah, I took your paycheck and I gave it to someone else. You don't get paid for the six months with all the work that you just did. You get paid zero. Because I'm taking all that money and I'm giving it to Joe Blow over here who did none of the work. Zero. That's what it feels like when you have someone that just swoops in and steals all your work, steals all your you know time and energy, your sweat equity, and then sells your item as a knockoff and then has the balls to get affiliates 
influencers to promote and sell the knockoff. I mean, the the fucking balls on these people. I mean, it it never, they never fail to shock me. I've been in the design world for 30 years and I've worked for a lot of different companies. And these people that knock you off and steal your stuff and sell it out from behind you, they never fail to shock me. And you want to know why? Because they, this is their character. This is who they are. The, they're showing me their character, just like this influencer is showing me her character. She's going to talk to her lawyer about what? What are you going to talk to your lawyer about? You're selling and promoting a counterfeit product? Well done. You're just as bad as the factory. You're, you're also showing me your character. You're showing me your shitty character. This is who you are. You've, you've told me enough. You've, you've told me all I need to know in terms of who you are as a person. Because I was honestly expecting you to be like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. I'm going to take this down immediately. That's honestly what I was expecting from her. But no, she too has these goddamn huge balls. And had the audacity to tell me she's going to talk to her lawyer. She's going to talk to her lawyer about the fact that she's going to continue promoting, promote and sell counterfeit products, which are illegal and and are a felony. Yeah, good luck with that. Good luck with that. But that's what's shocking to me is I honestly expect people to step up and do the right thing. I do. And every time, most of the time, I'm disappointed because they don't step up. They don't step up and like this person and like the factory, they will continue to steal from you. And they will continue to promote counterfeit fit product. But that's who they are. But you know what? Don't be shocked and don't be surprised when you get a fucking lawsuit slapped in your face. And you have to shell out some cash to pay me. I don't want to see any tears. I don't want to get any emails or text messages when you get slapped with a goddamn fucking lawsuit because you've stole my design or you've promoted my design knowing that it's counterfeit. Because that's going to be a big fucking pin in your ego. Because I'm tired of people being shady. I'm tired of people lying and being deceitful and stealing and think it's okay. It's not okay. What makes you think it's okay to steal something from someone? You know, that's every month, that's money I'm losing. 
The money that that girl is making, the influencer, is my money. That's my money. Every month that that factory sells these products, every item, that's my money. And I'm not a big corporation. I'm a small business. I have bills to pay. I have my phone bill. I have my car payment. You know, I have your basic things to pay for. And you make it extra hard for me when I can't do that. Or when you're taking money literally out of my mouth or away from my family. Because now you've just made me suffer. Now you're making my family suffer. You know, this influencer couldn't have said, you know what, send me some free hooks because I offered to. I offered to send her some free items so she could make a video on my items. But nope, she said she's going to talk to her lawyer instead. But I, I thought it would be a nice gesture that if I sent her free product, she could make a new video featuring my product, the real product, the authentic product, not the knockoff. That was the right thing to do for free. There's something, you know, in society where the shady person gets ahead. I don't know why that is. Maybe because they're more aggressive. You know, it, it's, it's unfair. I think that's what bothers me is I've followed all the steps. I've gone through and I've, I've done the right thing and I've followed the right path. And I've done, I've followed all the rules, all the legal rules. And my design gets stolen. And now I have to pay legal fees? I have to pay legal fees because you because they knocked me off? That doesn't seem fair. But I think if I have to pay legal fees, those legal fees will be charged back to whoever knocked me off and to whoever is promoting the knockoffs. I think that's the way it should be. And I do believe in karma, that when you do something negative or bad, I do believe that it comes back to you. It's just, this is unnecessary because I think that they should be following the rules and they're not. And they're pretending like they didn't do anything wrong when that's a lie. And I see this. I see this in society. I see this, you know, in New York, there's a real problem right now with people getting their cars stolen. 
and we get notifications on a regular basis that, you know, at nighttime, lock your car because people are getting their cars stolen from their own property. That just blows my mind. That doesn't even cross my mind that I would tiptoe on someone's property onto their driveway or wherever they live, onto the street. It depends on if they live in the busier part of town or if they live in the suburbs. But the balls of people to steal someone's car? But that's what's happening in New York City. People are getting their... People will fly in from other states and then they steal their car. And then... What they do is once they have the car, they go and rob places. And that stolen car is the getaway car. It's insane. But that's what we're dealing with now. This is the type of mindset we are dealing with since COVID started. People think it's okay to steal and rob and, and just take whatever they want. without blinking an eye and that's not okay that's not the right thing to do because the thing is when you do if you do something wrong say steal a car your karma is going to come back for you karma is going to circle back around and you're going to get hit three times the punishment i've seen this a thousand times And it may be in a different form. But karma never fails. I'm going to tell you this story. Twelve years ago, I worked for this corporate corporation. And I took the job because it paid, paid pretty well. And it was a pretty big job. I was the design director. And... I really took the job for the money and for the benefits and whatnot. And I remember just how horrible this company just treated some of their employees. And I just ignored it because I really didn't have, there's nothing I could do about it. So I just had to kind of ignore it or squash it or tune it out. But, you know, the owner of the company would openly say, we don't hire black people. And I was horrified by that because I hired a black woman to be on my team. And I was very proud of that. I've talked about that before in one of my other podcasts. I was really proud of that, that I was one of, in 30 years, I had hired the third person. In 30 years, I hired like the third black person. But I I also liked this person. And I hired this person because I thought they could do the job. But the company and the owner would say really horrible things. And I used to tell my friends, you know what, karma is going to come back 
and bite them in the ass. Someday, I don't know when, it may not be now, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be next week, but you can't treat people poorly. It just, you. it doesn't work that way. The universe has a way of leveling things out. And if you put bad karma out in the universe, bad karma is going to come back. And like, that's just one example. I have many examples of just how this company just, they were racist and they treated people terribly. And I think some people just drank the Kool-Aid. I did not. Because I think when you're in New York City, you have zero tolerance for that kind of mentality. And I used to say they, they were going public. They were launching an IPO. And I used to say to some of my team members, this IPO is going to be the biggest flop they've ever seen. And I said that to my coworkers, to my team. And they'd be like, you know, they would say to me, oh, you're so negative, you're so negative. And I'm like, no, I'm not being negative. It's karma. Karma is going to come back to this company through their IPO. And I think they launched their stock at like $24, 12 years ago. And I checked the stock earlier today. And over the course of 12 years, their stock has done nothing but go downhill. It's never once gone up. Maybe a blip back 10 years ago. But it's, it's been, a, it's like a skiing down, skiing down a mountain. And today, I think the stock is barely, it's just a little over $3. So their stock and the value of that company is in the toilet, basically. No one's going to buy their stock unless they're an employee and they can get the stock for dirt cheap. But my point is, I called it 12 years ago. I said, they, they're they not ready to launch an IPO. The IPO is going to be garbage. And that's exactly what happened. And they deserved it. They deserved it with all of their racist comments. And just having to listen to it. You know, because you couldn't really, you can't, you couldn't debate it. You couldn't argue it because if you did, you'd get fired. And I remember one of my employees broke down and she was crying because she couldn't, she had a hard time hearing it. And I remember just saying to her, like, don't take it personal. It's not about you. It was never about you. It's not about us. It's about them. Because people with bad character, it's about them. They can steal. They can be racist. They can sell counterfeit products. That's not about me. That's about them. I followed the rules. 
I paid the price to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. I'm not the one stealing. I'm not the one being the bad guy here. But I see who the bad guys are. And I'm going to point it out. Because I think it's really unfair when the bad guys get away with stealing. I think it's unfair when the bad guys get away with being racist. I think it's unfair when the bad guys get away with just being bad. But over the course of the last 12 years, and I haven't worked there in 12 years, I didn't have to lift a finger. I didn't have to say anything. I didn't have to do anything. And that company that I worked for, their IPO, their stock went from $24 to three. And I didn't have to do anything. And I think that when you're a good person and you put good energy out into the world and you do do your best, it may not be overnight, it may be longer than 12 years, but I do think that the universe evens the score. And I do think that the universe is working in our behalf when we are trying to do good things in the world. I'm just trying to maintain a living with my own business. That's all. I enjoy designing product. I enjoy talking about product. I enjoy talking about making more beautiful product. But then when someone comes along and steals it from me, that's not cool. That makes me feel angry and hurt and it makes me also want to figure out how to stop it. Because you have to stop it. You can't allow someone to continuously steal from you. You got to stop them. It's like someone dipping into your bank account. If someone continuously dips into your bank account, you're going to have no money left. That's what it feels like with these companies that steal your, your intellectual property. It's like teaching a lesson to a child. Like, no, you can't do that. Don't steal that candy out of the store. It's not yours. You have to pay for it. That's how it feels to me. You know, like when we're a little kid and our parents say to us, like, no, you can't just take that piece of candy. You have to pay for it. Well, I feel like there are some people in this world that just never learned that lesson. And they just continuously just... They're grown, full-grown adults, but they're still stealing candy. And then they just up the ante to stealing a car, stealing a patent, stealing whatever they can. Because they never learned the candy lesson. And unfortunately, the people that didn't learn that lesson, they're going to learn the hard way. Through getting a felony, or through being thrown in jail, or through being find 
because people don't need to tolerate it. They don't need to, you don't need to tolerate having something being stolen from you. I would be so upset if I walked out and I discovered that my car was stolen. Like, first of all, a car is a giant object. But that's so just incredibly aggressive to me. To steal your car and drive off. But it's happening. It's happening all the time in New York. And then they drive into the city, they rob a place, and your car is the the getaway vehicle. It's just insane. But eventually it catches up to them. And then you've ruined your life. I mean, I guess that's the question. Is it worth it? Is it worth ruining your life? Because that's exactly what you've done. So I want to talk about self-defense and dealing with a narcissist. You know, I recently saw on Instagram, it might have been TikTok, I don't really remember exactly, that there's a lawyer that specializes in dealing with bullies. And I thought that was really great, especially with children or young adults. If you're being bullied, there's an actual lawyer out there that specializes in taking down the bully and actually suing the bully. And I think that most everyone has had a bully in their life at some point, more than others. And I think that if you have a victim mentality, that then you'll be bullied probably more than others. Some people constantly position themselves as the bully. Some people position themselves as the victim. I like to think of myself as neither one. But I do remember the the people that tried to bully me, bully, bull me. But that's kind of funny, like a like a bull in a china shop. People that have tried to bully me when I was younger, or even as an adult. I think that adults try to intimidate you, or they'll poke at you to see how far they can push you. But the thing is, if you've done work on yourself and you really know who you are and you have really good self-control, you can't be bullied. And I'm not talking about someone pushing you or shoving you. or you know, I'm not talking about physical bullying. I'm talking about mental bullying. If someone comes at you with an, a mental or verbal attack, if you know who you are and you have self-control, you know, if you know or you recognize a bully, the best solution oftentimes is just not reacting and just staying quiet or walking away because, some, you know, most of the time it's just not worth it. If it's in the corporate world and you have to deal with a coworker or a boss, that's something totally different. You have to stand up for yourself. 
but don't react. By not reacting tells them you can't be bullied. Especially if they attack you and you, you add in a pause. And you maybe, you know, breathe a little bit like, hmm, add a little hmm in there. Because that also tells them that you have self-control. You're not reacting. Because when, when you're dealing with a bully and they provoke you or antagonize you and you react and you react quickly and you react defensively, the bully knows that they've got you. That's the secret. And I'm sure we've all been triggered by different people or different topics over the years. But I've learned that don't react. And that's the key to just having self-control. If you don't act like a victim, they get nothing from it. And what a, what a narcissist wants is a reaction. They can't stand it when you don't react. And 90% of the time they come after you is to feel powerful by lording over you. That's what a bully does. And the irony is a narcissist is the opposite. They're not powerful. They actually have extreme self-worth. They have, sorry, let me take that back. They have very low self-worth. They have low self-esteem. They have very um, regressed tendencies. And that's why they act very grandiose. They act bigger than they actually are. Because inside, their ego is actually quite small. A lot of people get this confused. A lot of people think that narcissists have big egos. It's actually the opposite. A narcissist has a tiny ego. That's why they overcompensate by acting grandiose. They act, you know, if you are confident, you don't need to act grandiose. You're just confident. If you're content with who you are and you're content with what you have, you don't have to be grandiose. You just are. You're cool with who you are and what you have. It's the people that are grandiose that you immediately know, oh, that person has low self-esteem. Oh, that person has a small ego. And by provoking you and antagonizing you and coming after you, that makes them feel powerful by lording over you. It's a bully mentality. It's the bully in the playground. That's what they used to do. They'd come after you or they'd push you down. And then their little sidekick friends would be standing next to the bully. You know, you see this a lot in TV, in like little TV shows. But if you don't act like a victim and you don't give them a reaction, they get nothing from it. And then they don't know what to do. So instead of, you know, 
approaching them or asking them questions or getting them to talk about themselves. Don't do that. Try When you spot a bully or you deal with, you have to deal with a narcissist, no matter where this person is in your life, don't make eye contact with them. Don't approach them. Don't stand up to them. You have to be indifferent. It's almost like if they're talking to you, be like, oh my gosh, I have it. I think I have a nail appointment. I have a spa appointment. Like you're almost acting like they don't even exist. It's almost like becoming the honey badger. You're not threatening them, but you're also letting them know they don't matter. If it's an extreme bully or it's it's like a boss, you've got to be willing to stand up for yourself. And that's a whole other issue. You have to prepare for whatever, you know, depend like oftentimes in the workplace, it's like a work issue. Like did you, you know, send the file over or did you, you know, stick with the facts? But oftentimes, if there's an issue, ask them what's the issue. Have them talk. Ask them to walk you through their concerns. Ask them what the issue is and let them present it. And they're not going to be prepared because they're more concerned about triggering you, controlling you, and getting a reaction from you. But if you approach them as you are calm, and in control and you're holding them accountable, this is going to make them uncomfortable. They're not going to know what to do because you're being logical and you're not being emotional. See, you know, with bullies, bullies are very emotional and they they have a very specific way of working and I mean I, I don't want to rehash certain things that I've talked about in the past but you know they the way that they think you know it's like whoever is supports that person whoever supports the narcissist is good and they think that whoever doesn't support them or whoever is against him is bad. It's very black and white thinking. When, you know, there's a lot of gray areas. Just because if you don't support me doesn't mean that you're bad. It just means that maybe you don't like what I'm working on. Maybe you don't like what I have to say. It doesn't mean that I'm bad. But narcissists have that black and white thinking. And that's why they keep you know, their minions close to their side because when they need help, they don't do the dirty work. They send the minions after you. And, you know, in their mind, they're a hero in their own fairy tale adventure. You know, they're the star of their show. They're the center of the cast of characters. You know, and in their social circle, they always assume the best and they turn against you 
when the narcissist needs them to. That's the thing, like when like these minions or like their fr- their friends, the narcissist friends. When the narcissist needs their friends to turn against you, they'll do it. And and this is the thing. The narcissist, they will use and abuse their family. So if you look at a narcissist's family or a narcissist's children, they're usually like overweight, they have addiction issues, they are just suffering. And the reason that they're suffering is because they're being abused. May not be physically, but chances are it's probably psychologically. And the friends, they use them as well. And they use their friends when they don't have family to abuse. And they pretend that they're emotionally independent when they're actually emotionally dependent. And the way that you recognize this is when you become friends with a narcissist, you'll think, wow, this person's really independent. They may have their own house. They may have this or that. But then all of a sudden, this person requires constant contact. I'm not talking about the email service company. I'm talking about this person will contact you constantly. They will be calling you constantly. They will be texting you constantly. And it's really frustrating. And it, it's, it's hard to deal with. And it feels like a parent-child relationship with you. And there's this, it's called the child-parent duality. You know, they want the child and them to be taken care of, but then they want to be the parent that tells you what to do. And, you know, there's this, just this control issue where they feel that your time is their time. You know, and it's, they enjoy fighting. You know, they enjoy messing with you. They enjoy, there's this saying, um, like they'll use love to pull you in. They'll be nice to you at first and you'll feel maybe even like this is a special friendship or this is a special relationship. They may need your help. And you may feel you have a special bond, but they will rip your heart out and they do this to sustain themselves. They don't feel alive unless they're hurting other people. That's the perversion with these people. It's, 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 they're like perverts. They're narcissistic perverts where they're unless they're smashing you into pieces, unless they're smashing your heart into pieces, they won't be happy. Hurting you makes them happy. And controlling every part of you makes them happy. It's, an, it's a bully. But what they do is they seek out happy people. It's think of it as a, if if you think of it as a car analogy. 
You know, we all love brand new cars. Brand new cars are shiny, they smell nice, they have like perfect paint, and they're brand new. I mean, who doesn't love stepping into a brand new car or taking a brand new car for a test drive? But the ultimate is actually buying or purchasing a brand new car. And it's, there's something like you, you love a brand new car. It's shiny, it's beautiful. And most of us, if you think of a brand new, beautiful, shiny car, you'll take care of that car. You'll have it washed, you'll have it cleaned, you'll have it vacuumed because you're taking care of it because you love this car. Okay, now think of a narcissist and this brand new car. Think of the brand new car as a person. The brand new car is happy, it's fresh, it's new, it's beautiful. Narcissists hate that. They hate it deep down, they hate it. So what do they do? They seek to destroy it. So if you think of a, a person as a brand new car, the narcissist will take it, they'll scratch it, they'll dent it, they will spill stuff in it because they can't stand seeing this happy, beautiful car. And they take pleasure in hurting. Did you ever, you know, for people that have a car, have you ever gotten your car keyed? where someone literally takes a key and they scrape it down the side of your car. That's happened to me before. I had the sports car. I parked it. I went to see a movie. This was years ago when I was in my 20s. And when I came out, the whole entire side of my car was keyed. I had to get a new paint job, which cost me, I mean, my insurance covered it. But I just remember when I was in my 20s, I was like, who the fuck would do something like this? A narcissist. A narcissist takes pleasure in doing shit like this. Because they can't stand seeing something beautiful or new or, heaven forbid, happy. They hate it. And when they see a person, keying a car is, you can get the, the car fixed. But when a narcissist sees a happy person, they go after that happy person. Like when you have a bully in, in middle school or elementary school, they go after, they usually go after the weak people, but those narcissists, when they grow up, Oftentimes, they'll go after the, the person has light inside of them. They go after the person that is happy. And the, the narcissist doesn't, under, doesn't always understand why. But the narcissist has pathological envy. So they, they're always envious of things. So they may, be, they may think, you know, I want that person's you know, pair of shoes, I want that woman's handbag, or I want that woman's hair. But what they most of all want is that light. They want that happy spirit inside. They, 
and they don't even know how to explain it. And that's something, unless they really spend a lot of time in therapy, they will never have that. That's why they rip your heart out. And they do this to sustain themselves. And they don't feel alive unless they're hurting someone. That's how damaged they are. They don't feel alive and happy unless they're keying someone's car. They don't feel happy unless they're smashing your heart into pieces. Do you understand how evil that is? So I have this saying that if you spend time around a narcissist or a toxic person, you're going to become traumatized. Just like my car. My car was just sitting in a parking lot. I went to see a movie with someone. I parked my car. I locked my car. I thought my car was safe. I came out two hours later. The entire side of my car was keyed. Someone did that deliberately. Someone did that deliberately and took pleasure in keying my sports car. And I can guarantee that that person is not psychologically well. That is a mentally deranged person. That person probably wishes they could have a sports car. I don't have a sports car any longer. This was in my 20s. And I really wanted a sports car, so I bought one. But you have to be careful because when you allow yourself to be in the presence of a narcissist, this is the kind of stuff that will happen to you. And you are better off walking away without fighting and ignoring them. And if you've been in a relationship with a narcissist, I highly recommend that you get therapy to heal yourself and so that you can take your power back because narcissists take your power. They take your power and they break you down. And so you have to build yourself back up and get yourself back to a place where you're strong because they will chip away at you. They chip, chip, chip away at you to break you down. And then they take your power and they enjoy it, just like breaking the car, destroying, and they, they enjoy smashing hearts. And if you call them out on it, this is what's really bizarre. If you call them out on it, like, you know, you hurt me or you did this or that, you stole something from me, they will, they are the liars. They are pathological liars. So they will lie to your face and they will deny that it ever happened. So you, you don't ever get anywhere with these people.
And when you start going down the rabbit hole when, with their lies, you definitely don't get anywhere. You just you start feeling psychosis because their lies turn into bigger lies and that turns into bigger lies. If you start asking them questions, they have to make up more and more lies. But it just it feels psychotic. It's almost better, I would recommend, just to believe them. Yeah, sure, I believe you. In your mind, you can be like, you're a nut job. You're cruel, you're evil, and you're a nut job. Yeah, you can feel powerful. You know, there's a a famous psychoanalytic case called the Three Christs of Ypsilanti. I may have talked about this before. Ypsilanti is a city in Michigan. There used to be a psychiatric hospital there many years ago, and it's no longer there. I think it's now a parking lot. The whole building is gone. But there used to be a famous psychoanalytic paper, and it was called The Three Christs, like as in Jesus Christ, of Ypsilanti. And they were three men in this psychiatric facility. All three of these men believed that they were Jesus Christ. So what the psychiatrist did was he brought all three men together and he had all three men introduce themselves. And each person introduced themselves as Jesus Christ. And it's like, well, one person's like, well, how can you be Jesus Christ when I'm Jesus Christ? And their mind, they were so grandiose, their their mind kept going higher and higher and higher that they became so powerful in their own mind that they honestly thought that they were Jesus Christ. They became that psychotic. Really fascinating case. And the psychiatrist you know, pretended to believe them, to make them feel powerful and self-assured, but also to protect their mind. But it was a psychoanalytic study because it was, he, he was dele- dealing with delusions. It was dele- delusions of grandeur. You think you're so grand and so big And the hard part in dealing with a narcissistic person is the damage that they do to you is invisible. And so you have people have to learn how to protect themselves so they don't get in in involved. Because if you do get involved with a narcissist, you will experience damage. And it's it's invisible. You don't see it. You know, people don't, people won't see it, but they'll start saying things like, are you okay? You know, you see this, when I had patients, I immediately knew that they had a narcissist in their life. 
and the narcissist beats you down. They make you feel worthless. They sap your self-worth. They make you feel like you're a different person. So the goal in therapy is to rebuild the person's ego and to help them see how they're being treated, how they're handling the situation. And it's the narcissist it's the narcissist behavior that they instill in you that perpetuates this attitude about yourself. You know, it's it's negative reinforcement. It's not positive reinforcement. A healthy person provides positive reinforcement. Like you're doing great. You know what? I know you need to lose a few pounds. It's not a big deal. You're doing you're doing great. Keep up the good work. That's positive reinforcement. But when you have a negative narcissist chipping at you, making like little digs at you, that's negative reinforcement. That affects and chips away at your ego. They're tearing you down. I remember this was years ago. I was in another city with a friend and I was wearing my hair in a ponytail. And, I'm, and I, ironically, I'm wearing my hair in a ponytail right now as I speak. And I love wearing my hair in a ponytail. I just do, especially if it's warm out. And I remember this friend and I, we were walking down the street in the city. And this guy, like, it was at night, and this guy made some comment to me, like, oh, hey, you're so attractive. And I was like, oh, thanks. And that was it. And we kept walking. It was just like a compliment. And I kind of smiled, and my friend looked at me. And then she said to me, the only reason that he was hitting on you like that is because your hair is in a ponytail. And that memory stayed with me because that was not positive reinforcement. That was a dig. And that was envy. That's like jealousy and envy. And those are the little subtle things that I now pay attention to when I'm with friends. And if I don't like what they're saying to me, if I feel like they're, if I get any type of dig, I will stop the person and I will say, uh-uh, no, you're not going to speak to me like that. I don't accept any negative reinforcement in my life on any level. Because if you have narcissistic tendencies and you're going to try to tear me down, I will remove you from my life. And I do have standards in which I expect you to uphold. And if you can't uphold them, I don't want you in my life. A good friend doesn't cut you down. You know, and then some people say, oh, it's just a joke. You can make a joke and cut a person down because B, 
being witty or making a joke and cutting a person down, you're still cutting the person down. It's still mental abuse. And over time, this causes damage. And people need to become aware of how other people affect their life and all the negative emotions that they give you. Because when people give me a negative, I'm like, I stop them. Uh Uh-uh, nope. You're taking that back. I will not be spoken to like this. It's because you're toxic and this is the kind of shit that comes out of your mouth. I'm not taking it. I don't accept this. Because if you really listen closely to what a narcissist says, it's they, they have to put you down because that makes them feel better. That's how worthless they feel. The words hurt other people. And these hurtful words get embedded into our psyche. And over time, this will cause a healthy person over time to be unhealthy. You know, I've I've said it before, you know, toxic people will traumatize you. I pay very close attention to how people speak to me what words they use, if they're being positive, supportive, or poisonous. Because if you allow a narcissist, especially a friend, because we spend a lot of time talking to friends, if you allow a narcissistic friend to poison your mind, you will start feeling unwell. I don't call certain people any anymore. I don't answer the phone by when other people are calling me. And I don't care how long we've been friends for. If I know that you're going to bring toxic energy to me or negative bullshit to me, I don't pick up. And there's other people that I just I don't even make an effort anymore. Because you don't work on yourself. You know, that's the thing. Like, people will work on themselves, like eating properly, dieting, or they'll go for a run. But if you're not working on your psyche and how you behave and how you speak to people, One thing, one thing is a, that's a pet peeve of mine. I can't stand it when people yell. I cannot stand it. I have zero tolerance for yelling. Especially if the person's right next to you. It's like if you are right next to me, just have a conversation with me. There's no need to raise your voice. Just tell me with a civil tone. But I think 
you know, when a person starts yelling, that tells me that they've lost self-control. So it's like, take a deep breath, compose yourself, and then speak to me. I cannot stand it when I see parents yell at their children because the, that yelling gets embedded in their children's psyche. And then you hear stories of schizophrenic people. I'm hearing voices. It's your parents' voice. That's what's really sad. The damage that is caused mentally ill, mental illness that is caused in children. This is one thing that I struggled with when I was taking classes because I've had people say to me, why don't you take on children? You'd be so good as a, you know, a child therapist. And I'm like, because I love kids. But the issue that I have is the trauma that kids and the mental illness that kids have, it's from their parents. 90% of it is from their parents. So it's really hard when you're trying to heal the child and you're trying to rebuild the child's ego. You're trying to make the child healthy when you got the parents that are damaging the child over and over and over. You got the parents keying the car over and over and over. You got toxic parents that aren't doing the work on themselves. That's the hardest part. Therapists don't talk about this, but we, like, in classes, they talk about it. Instructors talk about it. The hardest part of dealing with children in therapy is because you, the, the parents aren't therapy, and the root issue is the parent. The parent is the one that caused the damage. You know, that's the irony. It's like the parent will say, you know, fix Johnny. Here's here's some money. I'm going to drop off Johnny every week. And then you sit and you listen to Johnny and you're like, oh, the issue is the mother or the issue is the father. And the person that is paying you is that same person. I just find that really ironic. Where it's like, fine, Johnny should be in therapy but the parent should be in therapy more and the parent never goes. The parent just blames, there's something wrong with my kid. It's like that, there's something wrong with my kid. I don't know what it is, fix him. The problem with your kid is you, but therapists don't say that. But I'm going to say it. So I want to talk about taking your power back. You know, all of us, each and every one of us, we all have our own power. We all have our own energy. And our energy comes from our body, our soul, our mind. 
And when you're with certain people, particularly narcissistic people, they're like vampires and they will, and, and you can almost feel it. It feels like they're depleting you of your energy or taking your energy. And after you're with a narcissist, you will feel exhausted. And one thing that I've learned over the years in studying psychoanalysis is the number one issue that no one really talks about. This should be talked about a lot more than it than it is, and it, it's not. Is there? There's this topic that has been happening for decades and decades and decades and decades. And we talk about it as it relates to the Catholic Church. And that's pedophilia. You know, Catholic priests, you know, molesting children. But this isn't just happening in the Catholic Church. I'm having coffee, sorry. This is happening everywhere. And it's something that's just not really addressed in society, in families, especially in families. But it's also something that's not talked enough about in psychoanalysis when it comes to mental health. Because I think if people really talked about it and it was more in the out in the open, because it, it is this kind of kept secret, I think that parents would be more protective over their children. And when you have sexual assault of a child, it is one of the root causes of mental health issues. And people don't realize that. I mean, granted, losing a loved one and grieving and or not grieving, that can also be a root cause of mental health problems. But a child being violated is an issue because children can't process what's happening to them they can't process what's going on and their body is not even prepared or even a child's psyche and body can't even handle what's even happening to them and so what happens is they repress it they repress the memory and the memory gets stored in their body it gets stored in their unconscious mind and way later in life, something will trigger it. And they'll start, you know, either being angry or something triggers the memories or they start acting strange or they start doing things that's out of character, whatever it is, because everyone is different and you can't put, you know, this is where in psychoanalysis, they, we don't believe in labels. You know, we don't believe in putting labels on people because people change. The mind is very adaptive. So, you know, tomorrow a person may feel depressed. 
next week they may not. So it's not really good to put labels on people because the mind and the body moves and shifts so much. And that's what's so great about the mind. The mind is very powerful. The mind can heal. And so if you have a child, and and I had patients that, you know, unfortunately suffered um, sexual assault, a lot of people, I don't know too many people that haven't, let me put it that way, that haven't experienced sexual assault on some level. And a lot of people don't even realize it until they start digging up the memories. And the thing is, in the United States, and people don't know this, I know this because I'm close friends with a female that's a lieutenant, and she shared this information with me. And again, this is another topic that should be talked about, and it's not. And I think this goes hand in hand. The number one crime in the United States is not stealing. It's not robbing. It's not um, murder. The number one crime in the United States is sexual assault of a child. That's number one most popular crime throughout the entire United States. And no one's talking about it. And then that memory gets repressed. And that person, as they grow up, everyone deals with things differently. You know, some people get really enraged, but they don't know why they're enraged. Other people may become depressed because they're turning their anger inward. Some people may become hypersexualized and seduce everyone that crosses their path. You know, everyone's different. But when people go to therapy and they try to figure out what's happening and what happened to them, you know, chances are there's always some creeper that was lurking in their childhood. And it's typically, I rarely, I've never heard of a female, but I'm sure there is, there are females that have sexually molested children, but it's usually a man. And it's usually a man that that knows the person. Not always. Um, and then what happens is, like the 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 young female, somewhere along the lines, it's like they lose their power. the 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 light goes out. It's like they give up. And when they go to therapy and they get help and they start putting two and two together and they start understanding what happened to them, they start healing and they, and this may take a month, this may take several months, chances are it will take a few years for them to get there because it takes time to dig deep into your psyche 
to figure out where the trauma, it's the figuring out the root trauma, the root problem. And once that happens, once you figure out the root of the trauma, that's the moment you take your power back. Because it's almost like something's been stolen from you. And I, I don't mean sexually. I mean, just it's like part of your soul was stolen from you or part of your psyche was really severely injured. So you have to take that back. You have to take your power back. Not figuratively. I mean, literally, you have to take your power back. And you say no when you mean no and there's no confusion you don't say yes when you mean no you say no and that's a hard no and for some women that's not an easy task it takes some takes some women longer to just be able to say no because they're afraid of you know, not getting love or not getting validation or not getting approval or getting abandoned. There's a lot of reasons why we do what we do. You know, but staying in places or staying with people that are toxic is not healthy. And there are ways in which you give your power away. Especially if the person's abusive. Abusive people are dangerous. They're just dangerous. They're not healthy. You know, just learning to say no is the first step. You know, if you don't feel comfortable doing something or you know, sharing something or going somewhere or doing something, say, no, I don't want to. That's not for me. I said no. I had a really hard time with that until recently. Because I used to have these girlfriends that would just constantly ask things of me. And I had a really hard time saying no. Because I saw them as my friends. You know, I couldn't I didn't I wanted to help them. I wanted to be a good friend, and if I said no, was I not being a good friend? And they were having a ball cuz they knew that I couldn't say no. So they kept taking and taking and taking. They were having a uh, they were hooting it up. I couldn't say no. And it costs me. But I learned a person that will continuously take and take and take from you is not a healthy person. And it's also, you know, trying to please everyone around you. That's also not healthy because you're betraying yourself. You know, if you're not protecting yourself and you're not having good boundaries, and you're not able to say no, and you have some other person, could be a friend, it could be a family member, it could be a coworker that is, you know, taking advantage of you or harming you in some way, and you don't stop them, then you're causing self-harm to yourself by not protecting yourself. 
you're causing self-harm to yourself by not stopping the situation. As an adult, I'm not saying as a children, as a child, because children, we're so naive and we are innocent when we're children. I'm talking about as an adult. And so, you know, I think women and particularly, you know, in particular, we become people pleasers. We try to please everyone around us. We try to make everyone happy. We try to, you know, do things or, you know, give people what they need. But when you do that over and over and over, you're going to be depleted and you you are betraying your own self. It's a trap. You have to start saying no. Because no is required in life. And that's not a no. That's a no. I'm not doing it. I'm sorry. And you don't even have to say I'm sorry. I just threw that in there. I think I said I'm sorry because I sounded a little aggressive. You just say no. I'm busy. I have a prior commitment. You make up something if you have to. But you're, the goal is to take back your power because other people will try to take it away from you. And you're claiming stake to your own life. You're claiming stake to your own energy, to your own space, to your own happiness, to your own body, to your own heart, to your own soul your own purpose you're reclaiming it like no I'm taking care of me it's me time I like that me time you know it sometimes I will just take a break say like it's on a weekend or it's like a in the middle of the week and I'm just gonna take like me time where I do what I want to do for me alone It may be getting a pedicure, it may be taking a bubble bath, it may be getting a coffee, but it's me time. It's only for me, for me, paid for by me, or done for me. That's part of my own taking care of myself. I know, I think sometimes that we think that we're helping other people. It's not our responsibility to take care of other people unless there are children or an elderly parent, but that's a whole other topic. You know, but you know, you have to stop taking care of or in your mind thinking that you're taking care of your spouse or your partner. They're a grown adult. If you chose a partner that you have to take care of, you need to really think through what kind of people that you're choosing. I don't want to take care of adult babies. I just don't. You know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like at the bottom, it's like food and water. And at the bottom, it's like shelter. And at the very top of the pyramid, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is self-actualization. You know, it's like you go up the rungs of the pyramid. You start at the bottom, food, water, shelter, you know, 
good job. And then at the top, it's self-actualization. Well, when you're developing as a person, you go through psychosexual development stages, very much like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the bottom rung of food and water. The first stage of the psychosexual stage is the oral stage where you're an infant. You want food and water. And then the next stage is the anal stage where you're learning to poop, you know, you're becoming potty trained, and that's the anal stage. And then the stage after that, let's see, I have to look it up because I get get these mixed up sometimes. I think it's a latency stage. Let me see here. But don't quote me because I don't want to get this mixed up. Oh, it's the phallic stage. So from... Yeah. So from, from three to seven years old, it's the phallic stage. And that's your sexual identity stage. You know, that's when you... In, in the phallic stage, again, it's your, it's your... That's where you determine your identity. Are you a male? Are you female? You work that out when you're between three to seven years old. But some people don't. Um, And then after the phallic stage, it's the latency stage. That's from five to seven up until puberty. And that's where you're learning. You know, you're in school, you're learning, you know, and so your sexuality kind of goes into hibernation. Um, And then at your genital stage, that's your puberty stage onward. That's when you're actually having genital, you're having intercourse. They call it genital intercourse, but I don't really like that term. Just you're having sex. But so those are the five stages, but some people get stuck at an early stage. You know, an oral stage person is the person that gets stuck at it's from birth until 18 months they get stuck at that oral stage those people you can recognize them they're the ones that are the compulsive eaters they're the smokers they're the um they're always sucking on something or they talk a lot they're very oral or they'll chew on something That's the oral stage. Those people are stuck at that stage. Something happened to them. Maybe their mom wasn't present or I don't know. But the goal is to move through the stages, not stopping at each stage. Because if you're you're stuck at a stage, something happened to you. And then the next stage, the anal stage, again, that's the potty training stage. That's... 18 months to four years old, you know, you're, you're learning, you're getting potty trained. Sometimes you, you're learning how to tie your shoe. You're, you're becoming a little bit more independent. And some people get stuck at that stage. And those people are the 
anal, anal retentive people. Something happened to them. Usually it's when they're, you know, learning to become potty trained and they're, something happened. Maybe their mom screamed at them because they pooped on the floor. You know, who knows? Or they didn't wipe properly. Um, but the third stage is the phallic stage. That's three to seven. And that's when the child is learning their sexual identity. And like I said, you know, the next stage is the latency stage and then the genital stage, which is puberty onward. But people get stuck at these stages. You know, if you have a child that is, you know, moving through the stages and then they have a sexual assault happen to them, they're going to get stuck at that stage. It's not their fault. You know, someone did something to them and it traumatized them and now they're stuck at that stage. You know, Anne Heche, the woman that died recently, the actress, and this is a known fact. This is, I'm, I'm not bringing up anything that people don't already know. But, you know, she was sexually assaulted as an infant I believe by her own father, an infant. That's the oral stage. Infants aren't supposed to be having sex. I mean, how perverted of a father to have sex with his only child. I mean, that's just disgusting. Like that man is fucked up if you're having sex with an infant. And that's the other part of this equation is it's one thing if you're a victim and you're traumatized by some type of sexual assault. But then look at the the guy that's doing this. What is wrong with you? Like seriously, you got to take a step back. If sexual assault of a child is the number one crime in the United States and we have a lot of people that are traumatized because of this. This needs to change. But my question is, why is this happening? What is wrong with the men in our society that they have to rape children? We have a serious problem with pedophilia, not only in the Catholic Church. It's in society. And pedophiles are usually, I mean, pedophile is, I think it's 14 years old and younger is the, the age of the, the child that the person is having sex with, 14 years old and younger. It's my understanding that the person that's the predator, that they were a victim at one point in their childhood and they're repeating what happened to them. So, for example, if you have a Catholic priest and he is seeking out, say, a little little boys that are five years old, the chances are that happened to him when he was five. And so he is trying to undo what happened to him himself. But in the meantime, he is scarring 
and leaving a trail of destruction. And that's where I have a real problem in society that there's, they're not really taking care of this. They're not, there's so much of this happening. And these children that are victims, it takes a long time to treat a patient that has any type of mental health. It takes a long time to heal and help someone. It's a lot easier to stop it before it happens. I mean, if you think about it, instead of having all these pedophiles running around, you know, creating all these millions of sexual assaults of our children, then these children grow up and have mental illness. In theory, it'd be much better to stop these men. And then we wouldn't have children that are broken and traumatized with mental health issues. You got to stop it before it starts, in my opinion. Because once these children are traumatized, many of them don't get help. Because many of them don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. They start having addiction issues. And then it gets passed down. It becomes a generational repetition. It's not uncommon to hear one, like a great-grandfather making a mistake or a great-grandmother making a mistake in her family and then, and then the grandmother making the same mistake and then the mother making the same or the father making the same exact mistake and then the child making it's like, it's generational trauma that gets passed down and it takes a very strong human being to step up and say no more, I'm going to therapy and I'm going to heal myself And that person, some people call them the scapegoat because they're stepping out and they're, they want to talk about what happened and they're, the family hates that because now that person is going to talk about what happened to them and the family is like, oh no, no, you got to keep that a secret. But that's the person that I view as the hero in the story. The person that has the balls to step out of the family and go to a professional and and go get help and to heal and more importantly, to take back their own power. Because the moment they start taking back their own power is the moment, in my opinion, that they're really healing. And they're saying, "Uh uh-uh, no more. That's a hard no. That's not even a a yeah or yeah, maybe let me think about it. That's a hard no. I'm not doing it. Stay away from me. And 
I always found there's like this irony in seductive people are the predators. Seductive people typically were seduced when they were children and, and not all, but a lot of them if you pay attention in society, the seductive people, the charming seductive people are the predators. So that's just a little tidbit to be careful when you meet people. Because if a person is super charming and they're super sexy or super hot, it's like, oh, you got a predator on your hands. It's like, walk away. And that's when you learn you know, I have to start distancing myself from toxic people. Because it, it, it's, it's something that took me a long time to learn is the toxic person, you know, the, the person that is seducing you, the person that's seductive, acts like they like you. And so it's like, oh, this person likes me. No, they're just seducing you. A, seduce, a, a su- person that's seducing you is manipulating you. It's not because they like you necessarily. They may like you, but they're seducing you to get something from you. That's what makes them toxic. And when you allow these people in your life, they will make you feel powerless, confused, and they will deplete you of your energy. That's what makes them so dangerous. And you need to have good boundaries and you need to take better care of yourself. And you need to learn this so that you can maintain and keep your power and not give it away and not allow these toxic people back into your life. And don't feel guilty. Don't feel shame. We've all been through it because some of these, some of these seductive people are really, really like just they're like masters at manipulation. So you don't even know what's happening. And then this damage that they do, this toxic emotions and this trauma gets stored in your body. It gets stored in your mind for a long time until you go to a therapist and it's like extracting a giant zit that, that's been there for decades and it's poison and the longer you hold on to this poison this giant ass zit that's in your body the weaker you will become and the more fatigued you will feel and the harder it will be to take back your power It's not worth it. That charming person that you met in the beginning, it's not worth it. It's like dancing with the devil. It's not worth it. And you're a lot more powerful than you think. You're a lot more, the mind is very resilient. You know, people think that, oh, I'm depressed. I have to take antidepressants. No, you're de- depression is usually caused by anger. And the anger is usually because of someone who wronged you. Someone who betrayed you, so you're angry and you're holding this in like 
and now it's this big festering zit and you're holding it in your body it's stored in your body and you need to get that motherfucking zit extracted so this infection can be taken out of your body and you can heal so you don't feel so weak you don't feel so fatigued and you can get this poison out of your body and you can take your power back and then once you learn all of this you can trust yourself again you can feel happy again you can go back to your old self and you're like oh that's what this was this was like a head trip but now i get it and you'll be more resilient for you know most of us have gone through this at some point in our life but for some it's worse than others and it takes time but you will eventually start seeing yourself again who cares what other people think you know what i used to worry about what other people thought now i don't care i honestly don't care what people think about me because honestly i don't like most people So if I don't like most people that come across my path, why would I care if they liked me or not? Because I don't like them to begin with. Actually, I think most people are fine. But I don't have time to be friends with everyone. I just don't have time. And it takes a lot of time to get to know someone. And I don't value most people's opinions because I don't have time. And then there's other people where I gave them a lot of time and they did nothing but take advantage of it. So there's that. So take back your power. You will feel so much better. And over time, you will start seeing yourself again as beautiful and strong and bold and courageous and you will start losing the weight that you put on you know when you're traumatized your cortisol goes up and when your cortisol goes up you put on weight it's usually weight around the stomach area and it's hard to get rid of and it's because of stress the the stress hormones kick in And when you surround yourself with stressful people, it's not healthy for your body. It's not healthy for your mind. You know, it's all about content. What are we absorbing? What are we allowing near us? What are we allowing in our ears? What are we listening to? Who are we talking to? You know, what content are we taking in? Are we taking in content so we can grow and evolve and become better people? Or are we take, taking in content that brings us down and makes us feel miserable? And that goes for music, that goes for food, that goes for the media, the news, anything, the friends, family. What content are you surrounding yourself with? What content are you listening to? Are you listening to content that will help you or hurt you? Something to think about. 